In recent news, there's been a major relocation of the Australian Defence Force, the ADF, to Townsville, Queensland, making that town of around 200,000 people the new army capital of Australia. This relocation will create greater capacity for overseas operations and the bolstering of defences against any threats from north of Australia. The changes also reflect Australia's strategic death, uh, depth, I should say, and the need to spread key military assets in case of a possible conflict with a major power. To find out more about these changes with the ADF, it is my pleasure to talk to an expert on international strategic affairs, Associate Professor Alexei Muraviev. Welcome to the Afternoon Show, Alexei. Thank you for making time for us. Great to be with you again. Alexei, what are the reasons for the defence shake-up? Well, as, as, as your report uh, or your reporting suggests, that uh, one of the key reasons is preparations for a possible high-intensity conflict with a, with a major adversary and taking full advantage of strategic depth. Strategic depth, just for the benefit of the, of the, of the viewers, is effectively an, a, a concept that allows to define, um, uh, uh, identify, first of all, safety uh, zones within, within the nation where um, adversarial military power would not be able to reach as, as, as well as uh, the nation's capacity to resist in times of conflict. So if, if we're talking about a hypothetical um, um, major war with, with an adversarial power, and for example, in a, in a hypothetical situation, Australia would come under the attack, uh, our ability to uh, proportionately distribute uh, resources, including military resources, would prevent the enemy from taking them out in the, in the first or initial stages of the conflict, meaning we have greater time to resist and, 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 and show greater, greater resilience and, and pre- effectively preparing ourselves for a prolonged fight. And it may all sound very scary, but obviously to, to in, in improve and enhance our security, we have to, or Australian strategic and defense planners always have to assume worst-case scenarios and prepare accordingly, which can, in fact, uh, act as a form of deterrence if the enemy would know that we're not an easy target. So how effective will these changes be in bolstering Australia's defences? Look, I mean, it's, uh, to some degree it, it would, it would uh, give, uh, um, uh, provide the, the Australian Defence Force with some advantages. For example, uh, positioning of units in the lead area would not allow adversarial um, uh, forces um, if, if they come and say, have, uh, say from the from northern approaches to Australia to um, uh, to to hit them instantaneously. But incidentally, it's also to do with domestic considerations. Historically, and I don't think it's a it's a major secret. We know that the bulk of the army units have been grouped in um, in Queensland as well as in northern territory. But we're also quite quite aware that uh, there is a, a retention problem in an Australian Defence Force because being sent to a variety of bases, being moved around and, and often uh, posted to places where there is not much of a social activity going on and yeah. no offence for Northern Territory. Or but, even family support, Alexei. Well, I- exactly. And that puts really uh, significant pressure on, on families of service personnel and surveys were done about whether you pre- would prefer 
uh, your your spouses to serve, say in NT or say in SA, and many of these families actually voted uh, South Australia as a preferred choice. So it's it's a mix of strategic considerations. It's a mix mix of understanding the country's strategic geography and where threats may come from and how to avoid um, uh, us uh, being. Um, been um, threatened by those uh, risks, as well as effectively not not appeasing to to the families, but obviously trying to listen and address the, the issue of retention by listening to uh, to the opinions of of families of the defence uh, force personnel. How will this uh, relocation or restructuring be viewed by the international community? Do you think they they're watching that carefully that they'll know that there's going to be a distinct difference by censoring the the uh, the uh, ADF? In Townsville? Look, I mean, uh, Townsville has always been considered to be our launch pad into, into the region. So this is where... We Are we talking to... Indonesia, Papua New Guinea? Uh, Polynesia, Micronesia, to some extent Indonesia, although I don't think there are any plans to fight Indonesia. Uh, we, we, we have pretty robust relations with, with Indonesia, but certainly this is one of our first uh, response options also because we have air assets stationed uh, in, in, in Queensland and parts of New South Wales, as well as amphibious assets. So it's not just where the army s- sits, but it's also where they, the capacity to move them or transit them from uh, from Australia to, to a theatre overseas is, is, is based. So um, obviously those who may consider us to be potential adversaries will, will be factoring this in. But at the same time, we should not also overestimate our importance and, and our significance. We have a very um, and, uh, well-developed, uh, highly trained professional force, but in numerical terms, it's relatively small. So all these maneuvers may mean a lot to families in Australia, may mean a lot to businesses in Australia, because you'll get either less clients or more clients, for example, it and barracks are closed or barracks are opened up in, in, in new places. Uh, but in, in, in greater scheme of things, it's, it's not going to make significant difference because uh, if, we're, if we're talking about potential, uh, potentially fronting up a major uh, military power, you know, a battalion here, a battalion there, it's not going to make an impression. Yeah, okay. But from, from our perspective, it does, mean, it does mean a lot because it does support um, uh, as I said, local communities. Um, it, it does uh, ideally should uh, assist with uh, with the retention issue. Uh, but at, at the same time, people should also understand this is not just because uh, of of the comfort factor or you know supporting families factor. It's it's because we are facing uh, grim circumstances. You know, we we've got trouble on the horizon. Look at what's happening in the Middle East. What's what's happening oh, exactly. in in Eastern Europe. And, and obviously, in our part of the world, we are not we, we don't see you know outbreaks of large scale violence. Well, any, anything can escalate at a moment's notice, correct? Well, yes, <laughs> the, the escalation period now is much shorter to what it was say ten, fifteen, let alone twenty years ago. So we we need to be ready, and we have to basically um, accept that we are living in 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 new ge- geopolitical circumstances where. State stable happy world is is something that looks more like a concept rather than a reality.
Now, there are numerous conflicts in the world at the moment, as we just mentioned, that Australia supplies military support to, <clears throat> excuse me, along with other major world powers, yet the support offered by Australia to these countries then places it in conflict with other major world powers. So is it wise of the Australian government to do so, and does this place our country at risk? Well, to some extent, it does place country at risk because we don't have massive um, uh, stockpiles of munitions. We don't have massive stockpiles of military equipment. So whatever we're saying in overseas, and obviously you're thinking of Ukraine in the first instance. Well, Ukraine, Israel uh, potentially is going to be requesting um, support, I'm sure. I mean, the American fleet is already um, you know, uh, close to the Gaza Strip currently, I believe, just to fend off any other... Um, uh, alliance with um, either the uh, Hamas or uh, with Israel? Well, yeah, potentially we can we can assist Israel, even though right now uh, the requests coming from Israel are quite specific and something that can only be met by, um, by the United States and its uh, uh, defense industry. But I'm sure there's going to be a will for us to contribute to, to the Israeli war effort, whatever they require, and more importantly, whatever we can we can support. But in terms of, for example, what we have already committed to the war effort in Ukraine, um, didn't make much of a difference on the battlefield. No, it hasn't. Uh, didn't, it didn't make much of a difference in terms of our own capacity. Yes, it has. Because, again, as I said, we have a relatively small defense force. We don't have massive stockpiles of equipment. We don't have massive stockpiles of, of munitions. And we will have to replenish them. And, that, and obviously that would come taxpayers' expense, and obviously thinking about our um, our situation uh, in in the in the Pacific, we are not facing relaxed neighbourhood. We are not facing uh, a relaxed region. So, if God forbid, we would be facing similar contingencies here. For example, um, China will decide to fix uh, the, the the Taiwan problem, or there's going to be. Um, 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 a conflict uh, in, in South China Sea or North Korea will go ballistic. Um, you know, more, more urgent questions will, will arise. You know, are we going to uh, support our um, allied partners and, 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 and friends in, in Northeast Asia? Are we going to commit our assets to, say, uh, uh, sustaining uh, freedom of uh, navigation um, uh, scenario in, in, in the South China Sea in areas of immediate strategic interest to Australia because of our dependency of um, uh, the shipments of uh, energy resources, say from Korea and other parts. Um, our need to ship our exports um, uh, to Asia and, our, and other parts of the world, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that, that, that's something that may actually push us to uh, to uh, to the brink of where we have to make hard decisions. So I, I, I think, uh, you know, when it comes to us making commitments, we always run into this dilemma when politicians often want us to punch above our weight. Yeah. This is something that's, that has happened already over the past 20 years when we were always committing ourselves to contingencies which may may have made us look good in the eyes of our strategic allies, but uh, wasn't something that we could have really support uh, on on the scale to which we have committed. And I'm thinking of our commitments to Iraq, Afghanistan. Yes, uh, it's important to 
uh, counter threats coming from uh, terrorist and extremist group and contain global uh, global terrorism uh, risks and also meet our uh, meet our obligations. But also, you know, this is the time, and, and it's an uncomfortable time, when we need to start our ask ourselves questions. If we would come under threat, if we would be attacked, who will come to our aid? And I know many would, uh, you know, uh, say, well, we've got um, an alliance with the United States, we've got uh, friends and partners. Yeah. But devil is always in detail, and um, uh, I would like to see an explicitly stated clause that if Australia is to be attacked, including attacked by a nuclear-armed nation, then the United States would actually be obligated to support us militarily. I, I couldn't agree more. Because I did some research before we, we had a chat today, and of course we, we're running at, a, at approximately 90,000 military personnel currently, uh, and of course, you know, talking about some of the other major world powers, in uh, 2022, the uh, the military force in China was over two million. Indonesia has got 395 thousand in the military force. India's got one, almost one and a half million. North Korea's 1.3 million. Uh, Russia is 1.2 million, and the USA is 1.3. So we would definitely need that assurity from the USA to even be considered to be able to repel any form of attack on Australian soil. Indeed. And, uh, and uh, you know, we cannot, we cannot base our defence planning and our force posturing on hope, on, on expectation, on assumption. And, uh, and we, shouldn't take, uh, we shouldn't take things for granted. We have made a commitment uh, to the AUKUS Security Pact. And I think it's also important to recognize that AUKUS is not an alliance. It's, it's effectively a, a mechanism uh, through which we can exchange and gain access to sensitive technologies. But it's not to say that under AUKUS arrangement, the United States or the United Kingdom would be obliged to support Australia militarily. They would be happy to take our money because we are funding some of their programs yeah. in support of acquiring capabilities such as uh, nuclear-powered submarines, and later on we would be talking about other sensitive technology transfers, etc., etc. But, uh, but that, that's as far as it goes. Our 5 I agreement in terms of uh, intelligence and information sharing with uh, major friendly powers, once again, is, is, is about sharing uh, and acquiring and sharing strategic intelligence and sensitive information. Would it help during the wartime? Absolutely, yes. Would it help in putting additional boots on the ground? Because as, as the war in Ukraine and, and I think the current unfolding conflict uh, in, in Gaza is showing, boots do matter. You know, numbers do help. And um, would, would uh, the 5i um, um, uh, framework help with that? No, I don't think so. Yeah. So it's either, it's either us considering whether 90,000 or so personnel is sufficient for a country the size of Australia with our massive interests overseas, and, and as well as appetite to be involved in as many contingencies overseas as possible, or should we, A, change our strategic approaches, should we refine our um, security and defense arrangements to make, to make it absolutely clear non-nonsense explicit, uh, explicit in terms of commitments, in terms of who contributes what under what circumstances, or 
Again, another uncomfortable question is all volunteer force, and this is what obviously the Australian government is prepared to fund right now, is, is the best solution for us, because obviously many of, of, of the listeners uh, of, this, of this station would remember this, this thing called National Service of Conscription. Yep. And obviously that was an answer to a situation when um, the government had to basically think about self-reliance and in, as well as, you know, uh, being ambitious and bold in terms of supporting major overseas contingencies such as the war in Korea, Malay emergency, the war in Vietnam, and so on and so forth. So all these things need to be on the table, and it shouldn't be brushed under the carpet because it may be a very uncomfortable conversation for some. Well, I agree. It is an uncomfortable conversation, but I'll I'll pose this question to you, and then then I'm, I'm sure you'll feel... Why we should be feeling uncomfortable? Well, you might agree that we, why we should be feeling uncomfortable. So, is the ADF capable of defending Australia's thirty-four thousand kilometre coastline? The short answer is no. If if uh, and and it's not an attack or an assault on our um, uh, service personnel. Not at all. They are one of the best in the world. But again, size does matter. As 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 politically as correct as it may sound you know if in in we can we can defend a sector of of our coastline we cannot we cannot and there shouldn't be no expectation or assumption in in the minds of our listeners that the australian defense force would simply line up and and uh, and, uh, and 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 cover the entire uh, northern approaches to to australia if we can work out that the enemy would land in such in certain bay or uh, on a certain sector on the beach yes we can um, we can probably deal with that at the time that's spe- yeah that specific area sure but, but otherwise uh, and, and 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 again this is this is not something um, uh, super super secretive or sensitive you know if if enemy would land we would survey and we would resort to guerrilla tactics um as and simple as that that's why for us, in the current circumstances, the best way of defense is deterring or defeating the enemy while en route to Australia. Because if the enemy will, will, will be given an opportunity to land, unless we would go through total mobilization, and we need to not just uh, uh, draft people under arms, we need to train them, we need to arm them, we need to equip them, um, and that's a pretty lengthy process. And what we should be taking more advantage to... Just observe and, and, and engage in some sort of guerrilla warfare. So, Alexi, my, my opinion would be that, you know, we take advantage of Australia's isolation from the rest of the world. That's how you do it. As you said, while they're in transit to this country, you know, as, as far south, south they have to come, that's when they're going to be the most vulnerable in transit. Well, and, and indeed, and that's why our defence uh, defense strategy uh, for a long time was based on some some... Um, uh, listeners may, may may have heard this term on the air sea gap approach, so yeah. protecting uh, maritime as well as air approaches to Australia. And we need to remember that, given the, given the current state of technological innovation, the tyranny of distance, which allowed us to breathe freely and and feel more or less relaxed, the the fact that we are so isolated from the rest of the world, is losing its relevance by by the year. If, if, if we're talking about conventional threat, it's, it's not going to take now months and months for the threat to sail down south to reach our shores. It will be much quicker than that. If we're talking about 
a confrontation involving a major nuclear power, well, it will only take half an hour for the missile to reach our shores. Yeah. So, in, in, and if we're talking about cyber warfare, it's a matter of microsecond, instantaneous attack. So, um, in, in, in this sense, this assumption that somehow we may be isolated, especially here in Turkey, the most isolated capital city in the world, yes, it may have worked back in, uh, in early 1900s, yep. but it's no longer working in the year 2023. Alexei, unfortunately, time is our enemy. I really appreciate your time. We've been talking to Associate Professor Alexei Muraviv, uh, expert on international strategic affairs from Curtin University. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.